Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Now let's get into what the what Lord's wanting to speak to our hearts today. I, I want to welcome our Mount Carmel family and Carlinville family again on uh, with us this morning and again the watch parties that may be watching <laughs> E-Rhodes family. What is our vision here? It's to connect people with Jesus from all roads of life. So that's what we want to continue to do is just connect people, point them to Jesus. He is deserving of the highest praise. Amen? Highest praise. All right, let's get our Bibles out. We love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church, so we get a little pumped whenever we open them up. So prepare yourselves as you open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Woo! 31. Let's go. Courage to possess is what we're going to talk about today. Courage to possess. Look at your neighbor and say, take courage. Take courage. Take courage. courage. Sermon notes are available on the YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to follow along there. Note takers are world changers, so we love to do that. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Happy birthday, Moses. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you, underline these three words, he will destroy these nations from before you, and next three underline, you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you, be strong. And of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. What an encouragement. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. Let me emphasize it to you specifically, Joshua. Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word, and I thank you for the presence of Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for revelation knowledge. I pray for freedom and communication. We bind every lie of the enemy, every strategy, strategy of the enemy, and we pray for liberty in the house of God, liberty to hear, liberty to understand, liberty to receive, liberty to respond. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we give you glory, Lord, that you speak to us and through us now. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. In this chapter, the children of Israel are getting ready to cross over into the promised land. They're getting ready to leave where they were on one side of the Jordan and cross over into the promised land. Moses isn't going to get to go because of disobedience at one point. And so he's passing the baton to Joshua and he's saying, all right, Joshua, you lead the people. You go into this land to possess it. And so they're crossing over and Moses is giving this handoff speech. And I believe God is still speaking to all of us the importance of us crossing over things in our life, crossing over seasons. There's there's crossing over individually, 
like each one of us needs to cross over in our life. And there's also underneath that umbrella, there's circumstances underneath our individual life. In other words, God wants me to cross over as an individual, but he also, there are circumstances in my life that he says, I need you to cross over that, cross over that, cross over that. We can cross over in one area and get stuck in another. I can't. I'll just speak for myself then. But we can, he's wanting us to cross over into what he has for us, to experience what he has for us. So in this context of what we're talking about, this is a story of Israel's going to do that. How is Israel going to cross over and possess the promised land? Look at verse 3. How is Israel going to do this? The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. I emphasize these points. First one, he will destroy these nations from before them, and you shall dispossess them. Now this verse, <coughs> excuse me, let me try again. This verse, <laughs> sorry, this verse is very important for a number of reasons. This, per, this purse, sometimes you just got to start over. <laughs> this verse is a tremendous point, I think, for us as far as a theological foundation as God tells Israel, this is how you're going to possess what I have for you. Now, I want to go slow with this because it's important. This is God laying out, this is how it's going to happen. I have something for you. This is how you're going to get it. Number one, I'm going to destroy all the nations before you. In other words, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Your enemy is too great for you, so I will destroy them. That's what God's saying. God told the, the Israelites in one passage of Scripture that I'm taking in you, into, in you into a land to possess whose nations are greater and mightier than you. So he's letting them know on the jump, from the beginning, hey, everything you're going to face, it's bigger than you, it's stronger than you, you can't handle it. What an encouragement. Everything I'm going to give you, everything I'm going to ask you to do, it's bigger than you, it's stronger than you, it's mightier than you. Why would God tell them that? To remind them of their need of dependency on him. The same thing is true for us. Everything God asks us to do in this world is bigger than us, stronger than us, mightier than us. What he's calling us into is going to be more difficult than we can do on our own. So he said, I will destroy the nations. I will take care of things you can't take care of. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. We cannot defeat Satan on our own. We could not beat the power of sin. Sin was laying over humanity and we could not get past it. There was a barrier between the Father and, and mankind. We couldn't do it. So Jesus came, lived a perfect life, bled, died, hung on the cross, resurrected. What did he do? He destroyed the power of the enemy. We talked about that last week. So he's going to destroy the nations from before you. But look at the second part. This is just as important. God will destroy the nations and you will dispossess them. You will dispossess them. So we have a responsibility. Now, it depends on your position. If you take a Calvinistic approach, Calvinistic theolog theological approach, they believe everything is predestined. Everything is complete sovereignty of God. God's in control of everything. We have no responsibilities whatsoever. If God wants it to happen, it happens. If God doesn't want it to happen, it will not happen. But God says right here, I want you to have this land. I'll destroy the nations, but you have to dispossess them. 
There is a role to play in the nation of Israel, not independent of God, but in cooperation with God. We together are going to dispossess them. I will destroy their power. I will take away their right to stay. They cannot keep this land. Why could they not keep the land? Because of their sin had come to fulfillment, the Bible says. It wasn't because God hated these people. They had every opportunity to serve God, but their sin came to a place of fulfillment, and God said, you've got to get out of here. I'm judging your sin. So now he took away their power or right to stay in the promised land, but he did not take away their willingness to stay. I mean, to understand this is what we're building on. When God said, I'm giving you Jericho, for example, a lot of people know the story of Jericho. He said, I'm giving you Jericho. Guess what? When they showed up to Jericho, the people were still there. Somebody did not give them the memo that they were supposed to move out. They show up, great big walls thick, chariots racing around on top. They could have said, wait a minute, we've got to go back because evidently they haven't heard that that's our city yet. Sometimes just because God takes away the right of the enemy doesn't mean he takes away the place of the enemy. He doesn't take away the willingness or, the, or he still has a, a, st- a spot to stay. So Jericho's still there, but we have to drive them out. And that's what we have spiritually as well. Just because Jesus has defeated the devil, just because the enemy knows that they've lost their land doesn't mean they're going to move out until they're forced out. Every city Israel came to still had people in them. This is the same thing for us spiritually. So now, through Jesus, God took away the power or right of sin to hold us captive. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Life in Christ Jesus made us free from the law of sin and death. So now, because of Jesus, sin has no right to control us. Sin has no power to control us. Amen. Because of Jesus, the power of sin has been broken and Christ made us free. God provided freedom from the power of their enemies. He also provided freedom from the power of ours. But here's what we have to understand. True freedom is only found in and through Jesus. Freedom is defined by Jesus alone. Any attempt at trying to get free outside of Jesus will not yield freedom. Why am I saying that? To the person who's trying to break an addiction without Jesus. Anybody who's trying to get out of something without Jesus, that is not freedom because freedom is a person. His name is Jesus. I'm just trying to get free from this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm trying all these methods. Have you had Jesus come into your life and set you free? Jesus is freedom. So we have to understand this. The second thing we have to understand about freedom, freedom does not mean the lack of opposition. Jesus set us free, but he did not drive off our opposition. He just disarmed our opposition. It's important for us to grasp because we still have struggles. We have still have opposition. We have still, hey, Lord, I want freedom in this area. So we go to get freedom and we try breaking a bad habit or try and break an addiction and try to start a new thought process and, and do something new in a new year. And like, oh, Lord, I'm going to get closer to you. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 opposition comes. What? What's happening? They're still here. We have to dispossess them. We have to drive them out. 
So now, how do we do that? The word dispossess means to take possession of something by driving out the previous tenants and occupying in their place. Put them out. Run them off. It's our job to enforce the victory that Jesus has given us. So I want to focus on two things today. If we're going to successfully possess our promised land, for the children of Israel, what was their promised land? It was the land of Israel, the, the Canaan land. It wasn't Israel yet, but the land where they were going to possess. But it was bigger than just a piece of land. Their promised land was not just, I'm going to give you this geographical area. It was a place where they could abide with fellowship with God. God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to bring you into this land. You're going to worship me. I'm going to dwell with you, and we're going to have a great time together. That was their promised land. So what is our promised land today? I think we need to understand two things if we're going to possess what God has for us. Number one, what is our promised land? Number two, who are our enemies? If we're going to possess what God has for us in our life, become what God, who God has for us to become, we need to know two things. One, what is our promised land? Two, who are the enemies? Let's look at the first one. What is our promised land? The promised land, as I said, for Israel was more than just about a piece of land. It was about fellowship. Our promised land is the same. It's about abiding in a relationship with Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 15. Our promised land is not, let me reiterate this, our promised land is not about what we can accomplish. It's not about the raise. It's not about uh, titles. It's not about a salary per year. It's not about getting to this marker or that marker. It's who we become through fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Our promised land, again, let me reiterate. I don't think we're getting it yet. Our promised land is not about what we accomplish. It's not about one thing that happens and then we will arrive. Our promised land is about getting connected to Jesus and becoming like him. John chapter 15 says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch, that's us, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do how much? How much? Nothing. So anything I do outside of connection to Jesus is considered nothing. Do you see that? I can do all things through Christ, but without Christ, I can do nothing. That's what he considers it. I consider it maybe something. You may consider it something. Other people may. That's a grand accomplishment. Great on you. That's fantastic. But when God looks at it, if it's done, disconnected from him, he calls it nothing. He says it's not even fruit. Anything that I try to produce outside of a connection with God is not fruit. Notice what it says, that we cannot bear fruit of ourselves. What does the Bible say? You will know them by their fruits. We've generalized that and thought there's fruits for everyone, bad fruits and good fruits. And I understand there's some application for that, so I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this. But what God is saying, what I consider fruit is what's produced from connection to me. What you produce connection without me is called works, specifically works of the flesh. So he says you cannot produce 
anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear, how much fruit? Much fruit, so you will be my disciples. How do we know that we're his disciples? Because we bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? Because we're connected to the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus. When I'm not connected to him, I do not produce fruit. I produce works. You'll find this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's what we will produce without being connected to Jesus. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Uncleanness. Lewdness. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. Where does hatred come from? It's not connected to Jesus. It's not fruit. It's works. It's works of the flesh. Contentions. Got any contentions going on? Where do they come from? Not from connection to Jesus. Let's just all receive it right now. Just take it. Sometimes we just got to take it. The word's supposed to cut us. It's like a sharp two-edged sword, piercing, even dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints of marrow. Come on, let it cut deep in our hearts today. Jealousies. When I feel jealous, where's that coming from? Not a connection to Jesus. Outbursts of wrath. Where's that coming from? You catching a theme? Not from a connection to Jesus. Selfish ambitions. Who's he talking to? All of us, right? Selfish ambitions. When we're wanting to promote us, push our agenda, justify ourselves, defend ourselves. Where's that coming from? Not a connection to Jesus. Dissensions, heresies, envy, wanting what someone else has, murders, drunkenness. Where's drunkenness come from? Not a connection to Jesus. Revelries and the like, about which, of which I tell you beforehand, just I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's fruit. By this we will be known. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what is our promised land? Abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit so that we become like him. What is our promised land? We need to know what is our promised land. If we don't know that, we're not going to be able to possess what God has for us. So what is our promised land? Abiding with Jesus connecting to him and becoming like him. Romans chapter 8. I'll read another popular scripture for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good. Most people, that's the only part of the verse they know. We know that all things work together for good to, so put a comma, after good. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Who's God working all things together for good for? To those who love him. Everybody said, well, we all love God. No, that, not, let's biblically define love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm not talking about people that are perfect or we're all disqualified. But I'm talking about our heart is after doing what God wants us to do. 
Our heart is bent towards we want to obey God. I'm not saying we never make mistakes because we all do. But I'm saying our heart is, God, I want to follow you. So a heart that says that is a heart that loves God. For those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, these go together. They're never quoted together, but they go together. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, predetermined, made a decision beforehand to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. What are all things working together for good for? Not for my dreams to come about. All things are not working together to good so that I'll feel better about me. All things are not working together for good so that I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. All things are working together for good that I will be conformed to the image of Jesus. Everything that's happening in my life, God will work all of it together for the good of me becoming like Jesus. The good, the difficult, the disappointments, the hurts, the pain, the celebrations, the triumph. He said, I will work all of it together for the good of you becoming like my son. That's what he's working things together for the good. Not so that I'll feel better and everything go great and swell and never have difficulties. He said, no, I'm going to work all of it together for the good of you being conformed into the image of my son. So what is our promised land? What is our promised land? For each one of us, becoming like Jesus. John 15, the vine, staying connected to Jesus, bearing fruit, so till we look like him, act like him, talk like him. That's our promised land. Your promised land is not a, a, a raise. Your promised land is not a promotion. Your promised land is not meeting that wonderful person to marry him. That's great, but that's not the promised land. The promised land is us becoming like Jesus. So if we understand that's our promised land, then now we're trying to see things from a different standpoint on what matters the most in our life. Moses understood this about the promised land. He said, Lord, I don't even want to go to the promised land if your presence doesn't go with us. He said, if you're not there, if you're not in the land, don't take me up from here. So here's our problem. Too many times we want the blessings of God, even if it means we don't have the God of the blessings. Sometimes God will bless people and pour things into their life, give them things, and answer prayers. And then pretty soon we're worshiping the thing that he gave us instead of the worshiping, the one, worshiping the one who gave it to us. So what is your promised land? What is my promised land? To become like Jesus. The promised land is not the thing. Or the thing that God's telling us is not the thing. The one who's telling us is the thing. I was thinking about this this week. And here's what God spoke to me. He said, Chad, sometimes you get a little off. I'm like, Right. I know. But he said, you got to realize sometimes I tell you things that I want to give you. I tell you things that I want to do, not because I want you to get infatuated with what I tell you. I tell you things that I want to give you or things I want to do just because I love you. But you get off whenever you take the thing that I tell you that I want to do and you make that the thing. And so you become so infatuated with the thing that you start praying to me about the thing that I want to give you, and you start complaining to me who's the thing because you're not getting the thing that the thing wants to give you. 
You know what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever had God tell you he wants to do something, promised you something, then you so infatuate yourself with what he said that you stopped worshiping him and you just go over and over and over. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Why why is it not happening? Why is it not happening? Actually getting mad at the thing because he's not giving you the thing. Wow. I don't know if that resonates with you, but it was a nuclear bomb in my spirit. I said, Lord, forgive me. He said, anything I promise you is not the thing. Anything I want to give you, it's not the thing. I am the thing. And if we will make him the thing, he's the promised land. Now, here's why it's important. I will stay connected to him no matter when or if this thing ever comes about. No matter whether that prayer is answered in six hours, six weeks, six months, six years, it doesn't matter. That's not the thing. He is the thing. Abiding in him, being with him, becoming like him, that is the most important part. But when I think that his blessings are the thing, then here's what people do. They'll get mad when a blessing doesn't happen the way they want it to happen, and they will actually leave church turn their back on God because God wasn't their God. The thing was their God. They weren't excited about God. They were excited about what God would give them. They weren't excited to love and worship Jesus. They were excited as long as Jesus did what, what they wanted him to do when, he wanted, when they wanted him to do it. Lord, help us. So what is our promised land? Abiding in Jesus and becoming like Jesus. So once we know what our promised land is, now let's identify the enemies and what they're trying to accomplish. My enemies become then anything that would take me away from my connection to Jesus. I want us to understand that our enemies, with this promised land in mind, becoming like Jesus, staying connected to him, my enemies are anything in my life that would try to disconnect me from Jesus. So now my enemies are nameless and faceless. My enemies don't have a name. My enemies don't have a face. My enemies are anything that would try to disconnect me from Jesus. Anything. If a, let me read some of this. If, if a person doesn't treat us right, betrays us, says bad things about us, does awful things to us, what they did or didn't do is not the focal point. It's not what we should be concentrating on. Hear me, it's not about what happens to us, it's how we respond to what happens to us so that we protect our connection to Jesus. Do we allow anything that happens to us to disconnect our relationship with Jesus, to interrupt our connection? We've got to say, no matter what happens, I'm not going to let that, that circumstance, I'm not going to let that situation disconnect me from Jesus because that is my promised land, being with him and becoming like him. So what happens to me out of my control, how I respond 100% in my control. You can be betrayed, you can be cussed out, you can chewed out, you can get whatever. All this can happen. You can't control that, but you can control internally. Do I stay connected to him and do I respond by bearing fruit? Or do I respond with my flesh and give back what I've been given? 
When I, when I connect to the flesh and create works of the flesh and I respond out of the flesh, guess what, guess what I'm doing? I'm preventing myself from possessing the promised land because I'm not becoming like him. I'm staying stuck in my flesh and I need to dispossess selfishness, pride, fear, envy. I need to drive them out so that I can be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Is that easy? No. But it's still the job. And I think we don't even know that's the job. I think most people don't even know that's the job. They think they're supposed to pray a prayer and on their way to heaven, and that's it. And that's what's been brought up in the church. And I'm like, my Lord Jesus, help us to understand our goal is not to pray a prayer. That's not the culminating moment of Christianity. It's to become like Jesus. Well, we could never be Jesus. Then why did he say we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son if it wasn't possible? At least let me get the goal straight. And then I've got to work on it. It's a work in process, I understand. But at least if I understand what I'm shooting at, I've got a better chance of hitting the bullseye. So now if I understand that, then I don't allow anything external that's outside of me to disconnect me from Jesus unless I give it permission. The enemy can do a lot of things to cause problems in our lives through disappointments, loss, pain, suffering, tragedy, etc. What he cannot do is control our decision to stay connected to Jesus. He can't do it. Devil's done a lot of things in my life. Enemy's done a lot of things in my life. My flesh has done a lot of things in my life. I've had a lot of opportunities to bail on God. I don't stand before you preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because I've never had any issues, never had any problems. Everything's always been rosy and smooth for me. I've never had a church problem. I've never had a church hurt. I've never had anybody in church do me wrong. Everybody's always treated me nice. Everybody's always been faithful. Everybody's always been... (laughs) None of the above. Or all of the above opposite, however you want to look at it. So I'm not standing here because I'm great. I'm standing here because God is faithful. And I realize that my connection to Jesus is paramount in my life, regardless of what other people do. You can't control what people do. You can't control what people do to you in this church. You can't control what people do to you at work. You can't control what people do to you in your own family. But can we control if we stay connected to Jesus? 100%. I can say, oh, that one hurt. (laughs) Woo. But instead of connecting to my flesh and producing works... I can stay connected to Jesus and produce fruit. Fruits of repentance, fruits of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. I can produce fruit. And he said, whatever you produce outside of me, I don't call that fruit. I call that works. And if I will humble myself and say, "Mm, boy, that was a good cussing I got. Boy, that was terrible. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they would turn their back. If I would just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to stay connected to you. How would you respond? How would you respond? How would you respond to them, Lord? You know, the Bible says to be swift to hear and slow to speak. You know why that's good for us? Because usually our flesh is the quickest response. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me too. It's my quickest response. It's the one that's locked and loaded. Hopefully I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus, and I want Jesus to be locked and loaded. I want my spirit to be the first one off the draw. But sometimes that flesh gets in there, and you got to see it. So sometimes it's swift to hear and just say, all right, Lord Jesus, this is what I want to say. Maybe it's with your spouse. 
Anybody ever had a fleshly response to a spouse? No, just had not, but others have. <laughs> Pray for him, Sue. Right? Like, if, if, remember guys, if our promised land is staying connected to Jesus and becoming like him, then now we've got to look at our enemies through a different lens. Now my enemies become that feeling, thought, suggestion, whatever in me to respond in a way that does not reflect Jesus. Because I'm trying to become like Jesus. So if I do that, if I post that on Facebook, I see some things sometimes I'm like, people on Facebook. Let's just say people on Facebook. Sometimes people just blurt out things. I'm like, did you even think about that before you said it? Did you, did you, did you even run that around the track? And I understand we can all make that mistake, so I'm not criticizing, but I'm just saying, let's be careful that I'm looking, my enemies are not external. They're nameless and faceless. You are not my enemy. We've got to look at it this way. No matter what anyone does to you, they are not your enemy. Why? Because they can't control you. Your enemy is what tries to change your inside. So my enemy is the thought to lash out, not that person. My enemy is the suggestion, either from the enemy or my flesh, to respond in the flesh. That's my enemy. Lewis does something to me and just spiteful, just mean, hateful. <laughs> it's a stretch, but let's play it out. If he does that, he's not my enemy. My enemy to me obtaining and possessing my promised land is the thought that says reply in kind. We haven't got it yet. My enemy is the, is the part that says, you know what? He deserves it. Give it back. You know, he doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Don't forgive him. You know what? That's my enemy talking. Because unforgiveness is not something that comes from connection to the vine. It's not fruit. It's works of the flesh. So as long as I agree with works of the flesh, I will keep producing works and get frustrated and wonder why I'm not flourishing because I'm trying to produce fruit when I'm attached to flesh. I can't produce fruit attached to the flesh. I can only produce works, Galatians 5. So what I need to do is say, Lord Jesus, how would you respond? I want you to love him and I want you to forgive him openly. And I want you to let me deal with it. Yes, sir. Lewis, I love you. I forgive you. What happens? What happens? I don't know if it changed Lewis at all. I'm not trying to possess his promised land. I'm trying to possess mine. Come on. I'm not trying to get him into his promised land. That's not my responsibility. I'm trying to get into mine. And as long as I put him or her or whoever in control of how I respond, then now they determine whether I get into my promised land, which is becoming like Jesus. And I don't want to give that power to anyone. I don't want to give that power to someone else just because I'm tired and had a bad day. That's when I grow. That's when this old boy needs, I get tired and I get frustrated and things not going my way and then somebody does something and I'm like, that's it. But he said, here's what I hear. I hear it now, God's speaking to me. When we do that, when we say, that's it, 
You know, you know how we call our own boundaries? You know, it's like, this is it. This is the line. Nobody's crossing that line. I understand people will give me some, some stuff about proper boundaries. Yes, there's some application for that, but be careful if those are fleshly set boundaries. I got to come over here because that boundary's over there. We, we set some in our flesh because we're protecting our flesh. <laughs> God didn't tell me to put that boundary there. He said, I want to run right over your boundary. Why? Because I want to crucify your flesh. I'm like, Lord, but they're going to hurt me. He said, I know. What do you think they did to me? Did I deserve the cross? No, but what did I say? What did I say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. Did they know they had the hammer? They knew what they're doing. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. They didn't know what I know. Jesus knew something they didn't know. So when they acted according to the flesh, they didn't understand the connection to the spirit that would produce something much more powerful. Jesus was connected to the Father. He was abiding in the vine. So he said, I can say forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because I'm connected to something greater. I'm connected to something bigger. What they're doing to me is nothing compared to what I'm connected to. Father, I will take this all day long. If there's any other way, I'd be glad to. That was his flesh speaking, right? If there's any other way, Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, I want to stay connected to you. Because what they're doing to me is nothing compared to what you are in me. Can we come to that place to be conformed to that image? We want the image of Jesus that means blessings and everything's going great. Do we want the image that means hanging on the cross? Being conformed into that image that when someone crucifies you with their words or their actions, you hang there and you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I feel the Holy Spirit. He's coming for us today, guys. He's coming for us. Not because he's mad at us, because he wants to set us free. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What are we free from? We're not free from the presence of opposition, friends. You're not free from people abusing you, doing bad things to you, saying bad things. You're not free from any of that. You are free from any of that controlling you. We are free to produce fruit because of our connection to Jesus regardless. We are to possess our promised land. And I will not, we cannot, we should not, let me get more simple. We should not allow that to be in the hands of someone else to control what I do today. Well, they did that to me. They made me. They made me. What, what am I saying when I say they made me? I've given them control of my promised land possession. Well, I tell you, if he wouldn't have said that, if nobody says that to me. If anybody says to me, I'll pop them right in the mouth. They, they said it. It's not my fault. You know, they had it coming. You know what's happening? We're connecting to the flesh. And we're not producing fruit. 
You mean I'm just going to be a pushover and let everybody? (coughs) Jesus was the most powerful being in the universe. And he let human beings nail him to a cross. Which one was more powerful, the one doing the nailing or the one laying there? Sometimes we're going to get nailed, people. Which one's more powerful, the one doing the nailing or the one who receives it and says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing? I'll tell you which one it is. It's the one who says, forgive them, Lord. They don't know the connection I know. Lord, I pray that they can know you. I pray that they can know the connection of being connected to the vine, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do everything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Man, I sense the Holy Spirit. He is coming for us today. God's saying to us, friends, that he wants us to possess our promised land. And our promised land is becoming like Jesus. So who's our enemy? Anything in our life that tries to disconnect us from Jesus and to not bear fruit and be like him. We have the responsibility to dispossess, the Bible says, the enemies that Jesus has already overpowered. Good news for us. The devil, the powers of darkness have been defeated by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The devil has no power. Sin has no power or no right to control us. We have a right for freedom. But just because we have that right doesn't mean we will exercise that right. Just because God promised Jericho to Israel didn't mean Jericho just fled on their own. They had to be driven out. There are going to be things in our flesh that we're going to have to drive out. We're going to have to drive out pride. We're going to have to drive out selfishness. We're going to have to drive out hatred and unforgiveness. We have to drive it out. We have to drive out bitterness. We have to drive out envy. We have to drive out contentions and strife and blowing our top, outbursts of wrath. We have to drive it out. How do we drive it out? By staying connected to the vine and producing the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.